HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Comté Cheese Association. Comté, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at comté-usa.com. That's C-O-M-T-E-USA.com. Hello, everyone. As many of you have read and heard, Anne Saxelby last Saturday passed away. She was the founding member of the Cutting the Curd program, ahead of the podcast game. She started Cutting the Curd over 10 years ago to introduce cheese to everyone and promote sustainable agriculture as much as possible. But she was more than just a host of Cutting the Curd. She was also an amazing woman, a pioneer to the cheese industry, writer, wife, and a mother to three children. She paved the way for women to start their own cheese businesses at Saxelby Cheesemongers. She will be greatly missed. At Cutting the Curd, we will have an upcoming tribute episode to commemorate Anne. Our condolences go to her family and everyone at Saxelby Cheesemongers. We stand with the entire cheese community in missing her. This includes all the local cheese farmers and creameries she worked with over the years and all the cheesemongers she helped mentor. And we will always miss your kindness and positivity. Thank you for being you. HRN is creating an audio tribute to Anne. If you'd like to send in a memory or message, please email or send a voice memo to tribute at heritageradionetwork.org or call 203-998-5636 to record a message. If you would like to donate to the Ann Saxelby Legacy Fund to provide training opportunities to financially distressed teenagers and young adults, please donate at slowfoodusa.org slash saxelby slash. Dear listeners, we ask you now to take a moment of silence before we begin this next episode of Cutting the Curd to remember Ann. Hello, and welcome to Cutting the Curd. I'm your host today, Jessica Kesselman. I am so excited to be welcoming today's guest, Yoav Perry, founder of Perrystead Dairy in Philadelphia. Yoav has been in the cheese industry for quite a while, and now he has his own creamery, creating new American original cheeses in a city known for great food and surrounded by counties known for great milk. We have so many things to talk about. I am so happy that you're here today, Yoav. Welcome to Cutting the Curd. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I know you're getting a lot of press lately. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for, for coming on the show. Welcome back, I should say. You were a guest 
um, before on cutting the curd, but now you are a cheesemaker with your own creamery. Can you tell us a little bit about Perrystead Dairy as we get started? Uh, sure. So, Perrystead Dairy is a uh, creamery. Uh, it's an urban creamery in uh, Philadelphia. Um, we are right in the middle of the city um, in the Kensington neighborhood uh, next to Fishtown, if people know Philly. Um, we make American original cheese, uh, lots of short seasonal runs, and, uh, interesting experimental things uh, with beautiful milk from farmers that are only about 40 minutes uh, from us. So we're surrounded with all this beautiful, uh, all these uh, beautiful uh, uh, countryside and uh, incredible uh, dairy farmers. So we're taking the full advantage of that. So can you tell us a little bit about um, why Philadelphia and uh, and more about how this this location is pretty pretty key. I mean, it serves a lot of great purposes from receiving the milk and getting your cheeses out to the to the customers. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, Philadelphia is really on the kind of on, on, on both corridors, the Northeast and the Mid-Atlantic, and we're right by the I-95, so stuff can make it to New York City uh, and, and to D.C. in a matter of a couple of hours uh, with our distributors. Um, it's uh, Being in the city enables us to be close to uh, f- uh, farmers on you know, one hand, but also to the... The, the consumers, you know, the the real, the real taste um, uh, makers, the chefs, the, the distributors. So it's it's kind of a it's kind of a perfect storm of of uh, elements here. Yeah, and I know you've already you've got some retail, um, some retail distribution locally, and and you're getting quite a following. Um, and uh, you know, the you had a recent interview with the Philadelphia Inquirer. Congratulations on that. Thank and you. and they were describing this new model. Um, you know, often people use the words urban creamery when when talking about Peristead Dairy. And I know when you and I talked um about this, you know, getting ready for this interview and we talked about like we talked about like food systems and about like really supporting you know, family farms and high quality milk. And um, can you tell us a little bit about about the milk that you're getting to make to make your cheese? Where, where, how did you find these farmers, or or who are they? Uh, well, we're surrounded with uh, lots of counties that that are producing. You uh, have wonderful producers of milk, and the conditions here are really good. There's a long green season, and uh, um, and there's a good good diversity in cow breeds um, and very responsive uh, farmers. Lots of them do um, regenerative grazing and, and all kinds of more progressive practices. Um, so that's, that, that makes, you know, Philly even more of a, of a real good key location for us. Um, we lost about 1,600 dairy farmers in Pennsylvania since 2012, and uh, that was even that. These are pre-pandemic numbers, um, and Pennsylvania used to be the fourth largest dairy-producing uh, state, and now it is, um, the, I think, number seven. And that happened in just a matter of maybe three or four years. Um, oh, wow! So yeah, we've been seeing a lot of devastation. Um, but the state uh, actually has been really good about it, and they came up with a, a dairy investment program. Um, and this 
enabled us to actually get into business because we got a we got a grant, uh, which really was the deciding factor to start uh, doing this. And the proposal was to get this milk from producers that are um, really close to us, uh, so we can create the value right here in the city where we're close to those. Uh, Creameries and I mean, I'm sorry, close to those uh, uh, distributors and the restaurants and the, the customers and uh, the the corridor of the the, the I-95. So that that is really the concept behind the whole thing to really build value for these farmers to to give them fantastic value for their their fantastic milk. Congratulations as well on receiving that grant. That was a pretty sizable grant. Yeah, we weren't even in business yet, but uh, <laughs> it, was, it, was, uh, it was, which is even more like I, I was, I was kind of like, wow, <laughs> we did it. Uh, but the proposal was was really good, you know. I'm like, let, mm-hmm. let's let's get all this milk from all these farmers, put put it here instead of having them trying to make you know yogurt and cheese and figure out the expertise and figure out the packaging and and figure out the the delivery and who the customers are going to be and starting sales, you know, if we just get their milk over here, we can do all that stuff and we pay them a great uh, added value um, um, for their, for their milk. Um, you know, obviously that, you know, uh, you know, we, we can't afford to pay them the, um, the standard uh, value of milk, which is laughable. Uh, if it wasn't, would have been laughable if it wasn't so sad, you know. So mm-hmm. we pay them uh, approximately twice as much, and it could be even more if the uh, if the milk is is uh, of that quality that we uh, want. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, we want them to just focus on making incredible milk, and for us to be um, to be able to make the wonderful cheese with it without the other distractions. So. Reach would have our own distractions. So you, you found the city, you found the location, you've got the great milk source. So let's talk about the cheeses and your vision for these cheeses being um, uniquely American. Uh, what what um, what do you mean when 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 you talk about creating these American original cheeses? And and then let's get into what these cheeses are. Okay. Um, well. My feeling is that we have all the elements here that we need. You know, if this was, you know, 700 years ago and we had to make cheese, you know, we, our trajectory would have been completely different. Um, and being being this immigration melting pot, um, I find that there's just so many uh, so many opportunities to 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 put that right there in the cheese instead of trying to recreate uh, a brie here and just give it some local name of of a you know a, a creek or something um, mm-hmm. or create a you know something that's original but you're so embarrassed about it being original that you have to give it some French or Italian name yeah. <laughs> which we've seen, right, we, we've, seen yeah. a, we've seen a lot of that out there you know um, uh-huh. and I feel like you know screw it we you know, it's time to stake our claims, uh, you know, and be proud of what we have and we can create our own styles. We don't have to go with this, you know, to cheddar our cheese or to go with, you know, Trappist style, you know, washing or with the same old blue rind. We can just, 
we can make some match. We we are in you know in a time in history where we actually have access to lots of information uh, and to lots of bacterial cultures and specialty tools. And um, it, it, there's never been a time in history like this for cheesemakers, and we should celebrate it instead of trying to be like, well, that's not traditional, and this is not how it used to be. Um, what makes our time in history not not equally important as other people's time in history? Um, and cheese has always been a, a an expression of um, of of culture and circumstances. And I feel that you know, if you think about it this way, there's nothing that stops us from from creating our own um, our own styles, if it makes sense. That totally makes sense in, you know, cheese is storytelling. And to me, right. like, cheese is tell a story. And this is like, you know, of a particular time and place. And, and so in many ways, like, you know, what you're talking about is, is a unique ex- American experience um, of this time and place. And all of those different elements that have been brought over here for generations, um, kind of influenced by where we are now. Right. And I mean, I mean, I'm sorry, it may sound a little bit aloof the way I speak about it, but I'm just going to give you an example from a different industry uh, in parallel, which would be uh, coffee roasting, third, mm-hmm. third wave coffee roasting. Uh, you know, American coffee roasting was kind of laughable until, I don't know, a couple of decades ago. Um, and everybody were trying to mimic these Italian styles of these bitter coffees that are full of robusta that were created in a, in a really dark time in Italian history <laughs> to, to, to give every worker, a, you know, a coffee for a lira. Um, and, uh, and then came the 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 new you know the the third wave um, the third wave coffee roasting movement and everything changes all of a sudden people start realizing wait a minute there's all these different flavors and textures in in and seasonalities in coffee beans let's get let's get it and roast it and make the best out of it and all these incredible coffees start coming out of the United States and the UK and Australia, places that you'd never thought about for coffee roasting before. And it kind of left Italy in the dust a little bit, you know? I mean, there's traditional Italian coffee, but mm-hmm. there's not a lot of that moder- modernization of that concept in in, uh, in Italy. And when you think about Europe in general, it's extremely protective of its regionality. Um and we are kind of a we're kind of a hodgepodge of of all that here, um, and our cheese should reflect this story of us here. So, are you um, looking at that not just with like the end product or like the rind, but also with the rennet as well? Right. I I think you mentioned um, in a previous conversation we had. You know, you you have some interesting approaches and selections or like decision-making even from the choice of rennet. Right. I think, well, rennet, I think, is the unsung hero of uh, <laughs> of cheese. I think people kind of like, they, they get whatever rennet is available and a lot of people don't think twice about it, but uh, rennet can really sing some songs. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, you know, as, as a Jewish person, uh, I feel that I, I have a story to tell 
with, uh, which is, again, people telling their story through cheese, you know, uh, mm -hmm. of my history. Um, Jews uh, in the Iberian Peninsula um, used to use thistle uh, rennet, uh, which a lot of cheesemongers probably know all about, um, to coagulate their uh, their milk because the the milk clotting enzyme was not from an animal, so it was not uh, it was it was de facto kosher. Uh, that that technology have sort of disappeared from Jewish traditions with um, the uh, the Spanish Inquisition and deportation of the Jews in 1492, and uh, they went on to nations where they did not have access to thistle or the thistle was not growing in conditions to to produce the uh, the milk clotting enzyme uh, so it kind of disappears from our tradition but then it 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 remained in Spain and Portugal in some capacity with the local uh, uh, producers so here I am in America 500 years later and I'm like hey <laughs> we should mm -hmm. you know we should we should get this going um, so you know that that was the birth of the intergalactic, uh, which is my uh, my favorite child right now. Um, but that's that cheese is uh, coagulated with thistle flowers. Um, uh, is um, it's a lactic cheese, so it's really made uh, more like a Loire Valley um, uh, lactic goat cheese, but with with cow's milk, uh, and then it's aged a little bit like an Italian Robbiola. And it's in a tiny three and a half ounce uh, little cube uh, that comes in a in a wooden box that you can actually bake it in the box if you want to. So I, I mean, this 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 is exactly what I'm talking about. That's that sort of combination of flavor, texture, aroma, and presentation that you just don't get in Europe right now, um, or I should say, seldom you get it uh, because Europeans just would not mix and match all of these uh, very particular regional styles into one cheese. I have to agree. It does play with the mind a little bit when you see the cheese. And we'll we'll put um, some links up on our Instagram page and, and on the website. The intergalactic, first of all, it's square and it's like a cube and it's small and it has that brainy rind that I would associate with a goat cheese. Right. But it's cow's milk. And so there's a lot of things. And then you're talking about the thistle rennet, and it really does. Which gives it these crazy uh, notes of olive, which are really unique. And it does not taste at all like thistle rennet, uh, like, mm -hmm. like Azieto or, or Torta del Casar or any of those uh, uh, Iberian cheeses that, that you associate with uh, thistle rennet usually. Right. Can we talk about Atlantis? For a little bit. Sure. What do you want to so know? This, well, <laughs> this this cheese also talk about like the the brain trying to like process a new you know a new way to have a cheese. Can you tell us about this recipe? Like, what do you what are you doing with this Atlantis? This is this is interesting to me. Uh, Atlantis is um, Atlantis is a wash rind. Uh, however. Um, Kind of playing with the curd and uh, do um, the bacterial the bacterial uh, uh, culture mix is uh, is very unique and um, it's it's again it's 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 probably like about twenty different cultures that go in there in there just to 
Um, I mean, we can talk about this separately, but <laughs> about my craziness with bacterial cultures. But um, it, it has this like interesting uh, tang to it, but uh, at the same time, it could be kind of slightly uh, supple. But the, the whole the whole purpose is to wash it with uh, seawater from the Atlantic. So we wash it with seawater that's been infused with. Uh, up to six types of local North Atlantic uh, types of seaweed and uh, and sea lettuces. Um, so that's so that that's the headache that I have to do with every day. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but I'm sure I'm sure it's going to be you know worth it in the end. Um, because you're right, that is definitely an American original. Uh, and it was—it's a very difficult cheese to uh, uh, to make, and I can tell you about it after after our break. Yes, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so we're going to take a short break to hear a word from our sponsor, and we'll be back in a minute with Yoav Perry. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Conte Cheese Association. Conte Cheese Association represents the Conte PDO, Conte Protected Designation of Origin in the USA. Conte is a raw milk cooked pressed cheese from the Jura Mountains of France. There, every day, 2,500 family farms deliver milk to over 150 local cheesemaking facilities, or fruitiers. This milk must be transformed into Conté within 24 hours of milking to preserve the lactic microflora in the milk, ensuring the cheese's aromatic potential. About 105 gallons of milk are required to craft a single wheel of Conté. Conté takes time to acquire its flavors in the affinage cellars. After eight months of aging by dedicated affineurs on average, each wheel of Conté is graded and shipped to market. No wheel of Conté is the same. Its flavors speak to the pastures where the cows grazed, the season in which it was made, the particular craftsmanship of the cheesemaker, and the time spent in the aging cellar. Therefore, every wheel of Conte is unique. Learn more about Conte, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at Conte-USA.com. That's C-O-M-T-E-USA.com. And welcome back to Cutting the Curd. My guest today is Yoav Perry from Perrystead Dairy. And we were going to take a bit of a deep dive into the creation of Atlantis. You were mentioning this cheese is made with a blend of seaweed that grows in the Atlantic Ocean. Is that? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Uh and uh, I, I, I over-underestimated uh, what headache that was going to be. Uh, <laughs> seaweed, uh, seaweed has lots of iodine in it, and mm-hmm. that plays against your bacterial cultures uh, in a very significant way. So uh, it took a long time to figure out how to tame uh, this monster. But I think we got it right now. Um, and it's it's surprisingly grassy, but the, the whole the whole um, the idea is not to create something that tastes like too much like a sea or like a fish. You know, you just want it to be lightly beachy. Um, right. And seaweed is very rich with glutamine, so it imparts all these super umami flavors into the cheese. 
Um, oh, wow, yeah. And as the cheese matures, it gets more and more of the seaweed. So we actually started without the seaweed, uh, just to infuse uh, water, and then it gets speckles of the seaweed uh, only on the rind, but that's enough to give the cheese exactly what you want it to be. It's just, it's, it's just like nicely balanced. It says, it does not be, you know, it's reminiscent of the ocean, but it should not be more than that. So interestingly, you, you know, you describe these two cheeses that are very unique, very original, and yet one of the cheeses that really um, got your, your name out there was cream cheese. Which really is like, I mean, you're in Philadelphia um, and the East, you know, here we are in, you know, the East Coast, the Northeast, where we are all about our bagels and schmears. Mm -hmm. um, so you have the real Philly. Right. So the real Philly is, uh, is called the real Philly because Philadelphia cheese was never, ever made in Philadelphia. And Philadelphians are kind of gung-ho about what's theirs. So... They appreciate it, um, <laughs> as I think other people are. Um, but uh, yeah, it's actually not a cream cheese. It's uh, it's made with whole milk, so it's two-thirds less butterfat and way more flavor than uh, cream cheese. It doesn't have any of this waxiness. It's just cultured milk. Uh, we use French um, coffee in it and, um, and salt. That's it. And, um, and where is this available? Have you been... Selling because do you have a um, do you have a market? I think you were telling me you have you have like a market in the front of your or are there plans for having like a farmer? No, we have a market. We have a market oh, that great. Uh, goes on uh, twice a month. So when we built our place, uh, it kind of looked like a, like a Kosovo after a day of bombing. Um, mm. it, it was like a junkyard basically, and we we have done um, a beautiful. Mediterranean garden. We have like you know sumacs and feather grasses and and the thistles grow here and we have you know, bronze fennel and ornamental onions and what have you. So we have this gorgeous garden right in front of the um, the creamery and uh, we host. Uh, we're, we're kind of in an area that has uh, tons of uh, amazing food producers, uh, artisan food producers. Anything from you know it's like from pasta to Brazilian baked goods, uh, it, you know, to cideries. And, you know, there we have distillery and um, we have two distilleries around the corners from us and and, um, and two more uh, breweries here. So there's there's so much going on. Uh, La Colombe uh, is headquartered in, you know, mm -hmm. in this neighborhood too. So uh, it's this kind of neighborhood and the community has been uh, absolutely uh incredibly accepting and loving of what we're doing. Uh, and because they cannot go into our uh, facility that's inspected to oblivion, um, we decided to turn this uh, front yard into a market and then invite all these other producers to sell here. And we don't even charge them anything. It's just for fun with the community. Right. And, and uh, you know, I mentioned you recently had this article in the Philadelphia Inquirer and you have been getting a lot of press um, and I love the fact that all of this press is, you know, it's all an opportunity for you to talk about cheese making and um, making, you know, kind of making people more aware of the resources even around them. When you're in a city, it's it's can sometimes be easy to forget where food comes from. 
right. um, or, you know, and how it's made and, and you're raising awareness and creating a wider audience for cheese. Uh, what I, what has been the response? Um, what are some of the responses you've been getting from people? Uh, I, well, I mean, like I said, there's, I, we just can't make enough cheese, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I mean, the response has been amazing and we have people around the country um, uh, also asking for uh, for our stuff. You know, we had a good uh, exposure with uh, Food and Wine uh, magazine earlier in the season. So <clears throat> a lot of people uh, got in touch with us. Um, World's Best Cheese is now distributing our cheese uh, around the country. So that's been a game changer for us. Uh, I, I love working with Walls Best. Um, so, so lots of, uh, you know, lots of that, but people, people want to come in. They want to visit the place. They want to, you know, we have, uh, we have, we made the, the garden uh, market for the first time. Um, and I had no idea if anyone was going to show up and, you know, it was, was going to start at 1 p.m. And it's, at 12.50, I thought I was just going to have to apologize to all the, the poor vendors. And by 12.55, we had line around the block. <laughs> and we had like 200 wow. people an hour coming and everybody got cleaned out of their stuff by three. So um, pe- people are super excited. And it's like it's it's also like a gentrifying old industrial neighborhood uh, that everything is turning into lofts right now. So that that's kind of, it, it just kind of jives with it. And we're next door to another uh, well gentrified uh, neighborhood that, of uh, Fishtown that has some uh, uh, incredible restaurants in it. So um, it it just kind of fits with everything that we have here. Yeah, it's nice to see reclaimed urban spaces used for um, food production like this too. Um, you know, and and it sounds like this could be a model that can be replicated in other cities. Um, I think I think it cheese. can be, and I think it, it. You know, I'm not the only person to do this around the country. Mm-hmm. It's starting to be a thing because I, I think that the concept of taking the milk from the people who have hardest time producing value into it, but can produce the beautiful milk, take the milk from them, put it in one facility that can produce the value, and then uh, in a place that also has the audience for for it and the the marketing talent for it and the, the distribution chain and all that stuff. Create the value there, distribute it, you know, go with it. Our meal comes from 40 minutes away. It's not, you know, doesn't really lose value on its way here. So it, this, I think this is a really good model for United States of America for 2021. Yeah, especially especially for reinforcing those regional food systems like that. The customer, there's a way to do this where you can shorten the distance between the source of the ingredients, the production, and and getting it to a customer, which I think over the last couple of years, we've seen was kind of a challenge and continues to be a challenge actually, um, with, you know, a lot of the shortages we're seeing with, you know, especially in distribution over long distances. Right. And, um, uh, and I did, I did want to ask you a little bit about, um, first of all, starting this whole venture, right before the pandemic how what was the timing like for you and what how did it work against you or maybe even work for you i don't i'm 
is it one of the? I mean, you know, I have not done it the other way, so I don't know. But it's like, is, is it <laughs> six of one, half dozen of the other, maybe? Um, but it's you know, it we we received our grant in uh, we applied in November two thousand nineteen uh, for the grant. We received the grant in January um, uh, January twenty twenty. I was uh, at the uh, I was at the um, uh, the fancy food show when I got the notice that we got the grant and I was like, oh my, she's, and, uh, and we made an announcement right there and then, and everybody was like, great, you know, the summer show, we're going to see your stuff. And, uh, and that was January, 2020. And I, you know, I came back, um, we were negotiating another property, uh, for it, which is actually a historical, uh, um, like a 140 year old dairy right here in the neighborhood. Uh, that we were supposed to go into uh, that was being redeveloped. Uh, that kind of fell through. Uh, I guess they decided that it's better for them to rent it for a gym. And then the pandemic happened. Good luck with the gym. Uh, <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> yeah. So uh, um, so I was kind of like, I was not sure what I was going to do and, and if this is still worth it. And I was I was kind of like, I was a bit in the shell for like, you know, maybe two months trying to figure out if I'm, you know, if, I, if this even makes sense. Um, and then I got together with an acquaintance um, who was a local businessman, um, um, Leo Voloshin is his name, is a, is a prolific local uh, businessman who's done a lot of urban uh, development and also um, him and his wife own a, uh, a fashion design company uh, that is doing really well. Um, and we kind of got together on this and decided that one of his uh, warehouses would be the absolutely perfect space for this. Uh, and it turned out to be the absolute perfect space. So uh, that happened maybe in April. And, um, you know, but then I was like, okay, let's go build this stuff. And we had, you know, checks, you know, from, uh, you know, from a grant and there was no one to build the stuff. So that was a headache. Um, we prefabricated the actual um, make room in a shipping container uh, in New York. And uh, while we were working on the warehouse here in Philly, and then the idea was to just to finish it and ship it right into the warehouse and just place it inside the warehouse, connect it to water, electricity, and sewage, and start, to, uh, start working, which eventually it's, it's exactly what happened, but just... Uh, you know, we could not get a pasteurizer. We had to get one from the Netherlands. Uh, we couldn't get a, a milk tank. We got one from Greece. Uh, it was uh, it, it was just a weird time. Like you know, people could not show up, and um, it was yeah, it was it was very frustrating. But uh, somehow, within seven months, we built the whole thing and and put it together. Um, in March, um, that was in March. Uh, beginning of March, we put the uh, container in the building and by about two weeks later, we started producing. So our first day of production was um, March 29th. So there wow. you go. And hopefully, um, you know, March 2022, you can have your anniversary party outside in your, <laughs> in your courtyard and we'll all come and eat cheese. And um and just celebrate this insane journey in, you know, such a short amount of time. Work, I, working I, on it. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, there are so many things that we could go 
deeper on, like build whole episodes around. Um, and this was just such a great opportunity to talk to you, learn more about what you're doing, you know, just to be able to talk about like the development of these new cheeses, to talk about the storytelling. Um, and also even, you know, I would love to have you back one day to talk about how your previous work experience led you or feeds into what you're doing now, um, because you have had a career in this industry for quite a while. Right. Um, but, you know, so if, if we can make a date for a future part two, that would be great. If you, if you'd like to come back, yeah, I would let's love do it. it. Yeah. I, okay. Put it, we'll find a date in 2022. We're <laughs> going to do this again. Um, but I want to thank you so much for coming on Cutting the Curd. And I um, wish you all the success in the world with Paristed Dairy. And we look forward to seeing, you know, your future, your future cheeses. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, you know, really glad to have this opportunity. And uh, for all our listeners, make sure to check us out on Instagram. You can learn more about Paristed Dairy. Um, and uh, you can look to see what's coming up on future episodes. And thank you so much for joining us. Cutting the Curd is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.